Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I am honored to be in conversation with my next guest, a Baltimore-based designer, illustrator, and the founder of Wonder Books. That's tools for wanderers, timeless notebooks for a wide range of purposes. Please welcome Jordan Levine. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for making the time. And um, as we kind of start off here, um, I want to get the the introductory. You know, what is the the what is your story? Like, ultimately, what is your background? Why did you go into sort of the visual arts, graphic design, illustration? Talk a bit about that. So kind of earlier on, I was artistic in a way like I always found myself very imaginative and I did kind of like acting as a kid, just like drama and stuff and a little bit in middle school. My older brother was more serious about art. So I kind of saw his, his, him as an example of that. So I decided to go, go that route and see if I like could build up some skills of, of doing art. But I guess it wasn't like my first, like, um, like I was, I wasn't necessarily a prodigy at it. Um, but I did an art program in high school. I decided to do art in college. And then towards the end of college, I started doing graphic design um, and decided to finish out with that. And uh, just when I was in school, I kind of became interested in notebooks. I don't know if you know uh, this designer, Aaron Draplin, who did field notes. If you've seen those. Yeah. 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 And that that was a cool story for me to see. My older brother like introduced me to his work. He does 
like a lot of really cool logos and stuff. Um, but he also created that brand field notes because he collected a lot of, um, these old memo books that would be kind of promotional materials for like seed companies for farmers to use like different, different products and stuff. He has a whole drawer of them. Um, so he created field notes kind of inspired by that. And at the time, like it seems kind of ubiquitous, but there wasn't really anything like that on the market, at least just like that particular execution of it. So that kind of inspired me, like seeing what they did, um, started just making like duplicate of that just in, uh, my college classes, I took a book binding class. Um, but I interned at a, another stationary company in Baltimore that I had a mutual friend with called write notepads. Um, when I was in still, still in college, just kind of started developing these notebook designs of my own, like sort of with the, my own take on how I would want to make notebooks. So let's, let's not give it all away. Cause I got questions about that. I'll definitely yeah. will be going into that, but uh, thank you for giving us that, that bit of an overview. So let's, let's, let's rewind a little bit. And, you know, what was the, that point where you realized you were going to put a fair amount of your time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears, all of that good stuff towards a um, creative pursuit. Um, I, I know that, when I'm doing this, there's a fair amount of stuff that goes into preparing for a podcast and all of the stuff that goes on after the podcast is done. This is the fun part. So, you know, there's very much, this is a big portion of my life and what my, my day looks like. Right. So for you pursuing, you know, creative work, when did you come to that realization that, yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of time doing this. This is what I want to do. Um, well, when I was still in college, I started to do like posters for shows. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a way of doing something that was for fun and like in the real world. Um, so I kind of kind of had my foot in the door. I didn't know if I was going to be one of these poster artists that I looked up to, like doing screen printing all the time and like that being their main thing. Um, but so, yeah, I kind of wanted to do something professionally. And um, I think I at a certain point, I kind of liked creating stuff kind of like an artist does, um, just like from purely what I want to make, like as opposed to doing stuff for clients, which is fun in and of itself. But I, I, I noticed that, you know, with a client, you um, have to meet a deadline and meet their expectations. So that it's just, it's kind of like more work yeah. than play. So I always like doing this play aspect of it. Um, so I, I kind of had it in my mind that in some way I would have liked to make a living doing something like that, like what I most like to do. That makes sense. Makes sense. Um, when I started doing this, um, I used to look at my day job, which was a marketing analyst. So doing all of the unsexy parts of marketing. And I was like, I'm not feeling satisfied creatively, but I need to pay the bills. And it's kind of a version of like that. I'm able to flex a few of those creative muscles, but mostly, you know, as far as like, okay, this spreadsheet has this color on there, or I have a PowerPoint now that shows this data. But really when it came to doing something creative, I had to use like that time to play and experiment. And it's turned into me doing this for 14 years. You know, that's kind of what the beginning of it was. Just remember me being really tight about Albert Hainsworth signing with the Washington football team. I won't call them by their old name. And I was like, I'm fat. I can take up space. Where's my hundred million dollar contract? That was literally the podcast. Um, and it was just this opportunity to explore and play. 
And I think that's really important when you're able to have that time and know that you want to do that. Yeah. Um, and also like sort of along with the stuff I'm passionate about, I, I've had a job along with it. I don't know if it's the same for you. Like you have a day job and then this podcast stuff is like your passion stuff on the side. Yes. <laughs> Very um, much so. But yeah, I guess like that's, that's kind of seems to be a pursuit that a lot of people probably follow, at least for me. Like I had a regular job in the past. Like when I got out of school, I was working in a coffee shop and then doing freelance stuff on the side. Um, then I've gotten, I got a job at uh, Makerspace Openworks. And then this current job that I have now is at a place that does like stuff to do with binding and like specialty stuff with paper. Yeah. Um, so it, it like, I've kind of purposefully, like I was just looking for a job at some place that did printing, but this happened to be available, a customer service job. So it, it's a like, I feel like just with the intention of having the stuff I'm most passionate about, I've tried to get a job that like kind of coincides with that. And then at a certain point, maybe if, if this, the stuff you're passionate about reach it, reaches a tipping point, then maybe it will become your full time. That's at least yeah. in the back of my head. Yeah. And you're, you're describing that there's a possibility, you know, since you were a barista that I could have gotten a coffee from you at one point, like a nice latte, extra shot of espresso. You know, I'm very, very picky about my coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I don't <laughs> remember. Um, but yeah, it's possible. It's possible. I'm very noticeable. Um, so I want to dive into a little bit of some of the the influences that show up in your work. Um, like who are some of your, you know, favorite artists? And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be from the visual sort of standpoint. It can be like, yeah, you know, when I came up with this really good piece, I was listening to this particular band and maybe the way that I did this crosshatch, I don't know, cross shading or what have you, um, is definitely reminiscent of the guitar playing in this song. I, I don't know, but I find that sometimes people have influences that come from mediums outside of their own. So if you have any of those, feel free to share, but who are some of your favorite artists artists and what are some of the influences and inspiration that you get out of them? Yeah. Um, yeah. I like a lot of different people, I guess there's like, I guess I'll just notice that it's a particular thing. Like, like there's lots of artists out there that are great. Um, but when I notice something that just like really hits me, it's just a very particular thing. So like you're saying, it could be in different like genres of art. Um, but I did do a poster one time. I've, I've done maybe a couple times where I just make fan art of, of a poster. Like I wasn't hired to do it. And it's something that's already been in progress. Like I wasn't hired to do a poster, but it's happening. And I'll just post that on Instagram and see if I can like, uh, like I, I did like send it to Metro gallery for this one show, um, is for this band called Mr. Twin sister. Um, Great. but yeah, I was, I just, yeah. Um, I, uh, really liked their music and like, it was kind of rare to get to see them. So I was excited about that. And I, I listened to it and kind of tried, tried to do my best, I guess with posters, like you try to listen to the music and be inspired by that if you can. And, it, but it's still like, it's still my, like expression of it trying to do justice to this artist yeah. so i like that that's kind of like a collaboration like it's not exactly them it's not exactly just me it's like uh some sort of like blending of the two so i was happy with how that poster turned out i tried to take elements of like what i was thinking about while i was listening to their music and just do do what like inspired me yeah it's uh 
it's a version of like artistic license. This was inspired by this tune or, you know, when you, you watch a movie and you're saying inspired by real events, it's like, mm, how many of the events were real? Like, <laughs> like some of this is, this is just a movie, you know what I mean? Um, and th this is the last question before I, I get to the, I want to talk about wonder books a little bit, but well, a lot actually, but so what I finally, when we're making our sort of path as a creative, we're always picking up new skills. We're learning a lot of things. Like I am not a web developer, but I know my way around code a little bit just because it's what I need to do for the podcast and for, you know, the website and all of that good stuff around it. And, you know, sometimes it's YouTube university, sometimes it's word of mouth. How do you go about like developing more skills related to, you know, your creative practice or, or, directly directly related to your create creative practice or somewhat connected to it like i need to you know learn how to write in this manner i need to learn like a different language because i want to start doing business in this other language when i'm selling books or what have you yeah i guess um i did probably buy uh, quite a few books on design stuff related to that like maybe marketing and design thinking and stuff um but yeah, when, when I was starting out, I listened to a lot of podcasts with designers and different creatives. Um, I did enjoy kind of like listening to kind of like a podcast that you do, like um, someone who brings on different guests of different different types of art and stuff, like trying to get inspiration, even if it's not somebody in the field that you're particularly working with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I usually go, go that kind of route and YouTube. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, just like got a, got a lot of books. I, I like, I, and I I feel like maybe with something like design or whatever you're doing, like you can take inspiration from uh, something kind of random, and then you just kind of pull from that, kind of like collage. So that that makes it so that when somebody sees it, it's like it seems so unique to them. But maybe it's because you pulled it from being inspired by some other art like in just like standing out in your field like not making some not making a painting like every other painter makes because you're inspired by david lynch or whatever like some other type of art nice yeah i i, I think like when because i think a lot of times we are our references we are what we consume from a media and from a content perspective and it definitely bleeds into it has the potential to really bleed into what we do and I've listened to like rappers, um, and I kind of abide by this as well. I've listened to rappers like um, like Currency. I remember him talking about when he's working on an album, he's not listening to current music. He's listening to something from a, a certain era because he's trying to come up with that mood and it affects how he goes about his writing, affects on the maybe the visuals, maybe the what the album design is going to look like. It's like these different influences, but it's not necessarily a concept album. Or even when I'm doing this, you know, I've gotten the question a few times, what is your favorite podcast? And it's like, I don't really listen to a lot. I have a few favorites, but I don't really listen to a lot because I don't want the way that some people are doing their stuff to influence how I do my stuff. You know, mm -hmm. just I want to do do my own thing. So I may listen to different interviews, but it's not a lot of podcasts. Yeah. So let's talk about Wonder Books. Uh, talk about, talk about starting it. Cause like I, I read what 2018. So talk about starting it. What was some of the, the thinking that went into it? I know you touched on field notes a bit. So let's, let's go back into that conversation. So, um, yeah, when I was like in my last semester of school, um, 
like I said, I took a book binding class. That was the, the beginning of it, which is more kind of like fine art stuff. But you learn how to use a guillotine, which cuts stacks of paper. And you just learn the basics of like hand sewn binding and stuff. Um, but I kind of like, I was interested in learning like the more technical, like what could be done with just kind of like home office supplies, basically, um, but just different type of binding. Um, but like I said, I worked at that one company that also like, was based in a bindery. So the guy, the guy's dad had run that business and it had been like a family business. And then he started a stationary company within that. Um, but, uh, yeah, when I was in my senior year of college, finishing up at Towson, um, for graphic design, I'm, I'm from silver spring. Originally I did community college there and then moved up here for that. Um, but I made like three prototypes as my senior project. It was uh, the iterator, which was this idea I came up with. I was teachers always tell you to use tracing paper in your process to make like refinements of your design. Yeah. So like you can have multiple versions. Um, and uh, just like say you have a, a rough sketch and then you want to refine it in, in mul multiple like layers. Um, so I was like, oh, what if you bind that into a notebook where it has tracing paper that goes on top of just your sheet of paper in the notebook? And it kind of alternates. So I had that as one design, uh, had a concert companion, um, and then a comic companion because I did stand up as well. Um, so that was the an idea of like a organizer and like place to write your set lists, and then your like different tools, um, idea starters, and stuff like that. Yeah. So those were my three designs that I made starting off like when I was getting out of school, and then uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I, um, I like, I guess it kind of gave me, I felt like I, there was something there, um, like that was worthy of it. So that's kind of like why I, I chose not to get a full-time graphic design job, like go for that kind of thing, just cause I felt like there, like there was potential there and I kind of wanted to have room in my life to just like pursue that on the side and then work kind of like a regular job that wasn't too creatively demanding. Yeah. Now that's, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting because I'm very caught on. I, I've, you're, you're the first person I spoke to that binds books. So I'm like, tell me more about that process. So if you will, could you, you know, tell us a little bit around like what that process entails, because, you know, it's a lot that goes in because it's obviously the, the graphic component, right? And then there's the bringing the book together component. And then, so give us the full thing. What is the full, you have an idea and tell us everything that gets to the point where I'm going to actually have your book in my hand. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I was still working at that other notebook company, he helped me make th those prototypes. So I learned about like the type of weight of cover material you need and this like, yeah, they have some, it's, I'll, I'll get into it. So, uh, so wire binding, you know, you can have, you, say you have a, like a plastic coil kind of thing. That's like a spiral that goes through something that can be used for, some presentations and books and stuff. The wire binding that I use is called Wiro. It's kind of interesting that, um, so it's not like a spiral. It's like, it's called double loop or something like that. Like you see double loops that go through each hole that's punched in it. So it's very common for school notebooks and stuff. So that come comes as uh, spines of binding wire and you cut it to the length that you need it. And then you have a machine that can crimp that closed. So you have to bind your, you have to 
punch your pages and covers and everything. And then you set that up where you just put the pages onto the binding wire and then you put it into the part of the machine that you, for, for me, I, I got an office supply like level of it. Maybe it was like a few hundred originally, but it cost me a hundred dollars on Craigslist from some small graphic design agency that was closing, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I got, got that from them and that got me started with it. Now at the place that I work, they have a more like a bigger machine that does it, but they also have like a hand version that you step on a pedal and just do them one by one. But that's pretty much what I have at home. It's just like a, a crank that you pull down and it closes the wire. Um, but I get my cover screen printed. I used to do it myself um, mm. when I had access at Towson or other like screen printing studios. But at this point, I just hire somebody else to do the printing for me. This guy, uh, Ian Jackson, does it. Um, so yeah, get usually get them screen printed. Feel like that's cost effective, but it's still like a nice like hand printed process. Nice mm. result. And it's something that's that's done here locally because that's that's one of the things that I saw um, in reading that the you know obviously you're 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 still in Baltimore, right? So mm-hmm. you're in Baltimore, so you're doing the graphic component of it, the visuals, and then it's just like you know it's being screen printed locally or something to the extent. And then, you know, you're like kind of like binding it locally. So it's locally bound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I like to say. And like in the promo, I's, uh, yeah, at this point, it's like uh, printed in Baltimore, bound in Baltimore. I think I say printed and bound in Baltimore. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is a nice thing. Um, I think some, some of the papers that I use, like one nice thing about this French paper company, whenever I use their stuff is they're like, uh, um, I think maybe recycled fibers and they also have a, a hydroelectric powered mill so they're like one of the oldest operating uh, paper mill like that so it's 100 percent hydroelectric powered so that's nice when you can use that paper tell me, tell me about that the process of like like selecting paper and i asked this because my partner is a bit of a paper snob and like i'll tell you this if i if i go to like a paper place like a paper source or something it's like here you go baby here's 50 dollars. do whatever you need and she gets very excited about being able to buy paper so like talk to me about like what that process was like for you and picking like all right we're going to go with this paper like the, the french company you were describing a second ago talk about like like that like how do you go about selecting quality paper yeah i mean I guess you can go on websites and like the, the paper mills sources um, and just like see the main brands. I, I got exposed to it a little bit in college with like, you can get swatch books of paper from different companies. Um, the French paper company, it's called that, but it's, I think their family name was French and they're, they're, they're in Lansing, Michigan. Um, but uh, that that's who I think field notes use them a lot. And a lot of screen printing poster artists use, use that paper they have it in a lot of different colors um but there's some some big companies called like nina mohawk um and sometimes they have specialty colors and like textures and stuff um say for like the inside pages they'll they'll offer something called laid paper that i had an artist that i collaborated with um from canada named nolan pelletier um he chose a laid paper because that was like kind of old-timey and gave you like horizontal lines basically as like a watermark in the paper so you can use it like line paper but it's not like too too in the way um but yeah there's just like lots of brands out there um 
And uh, I'll tell you, like with the text paper that I use for all my notebooks, I just used what my print shop that, that I go to called uh, Work Work Printing in Pigtown. Um, just their standard text that they keep in in the shop is called Soper Set, and it's from uh, um, Portugal. And one one thing that's just interesting about it is it's made out of eucalyptus fibers. And it's something like it's subsidized by the government. So it's like also really cheap, but that's just like an interesting thing. You'd think that's like a luxury item made of, out of eucalyptus fibers, but it's like pretty cost effective and it's like a nice weight. It's not, not too light and doesn't bleed through. So I've just been using that. That's interesting. That's, 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 that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, last, last question I have around like the, the process, right? Um, what do you enjoy most about the process and what, what is like that, that area that you're like, I know I got to do this, but this is, this is bugging me out. Like I hate preparing, even though it's a lot of, you get to learn about the guests and all of that stuff. But I think the conversation is the, is my favorite part, actually getting to like, who is this person, you know, and getting to the rapid fire part. Cause I like to see y'all sweat, but, um, the, the preparing portion and the back and forth thing, sometimes that's always the bit of the hassle and the lead up to it. It's just like the anticipation. It's like, I want to do the interview now I'm already ready. So for you, what is the most like fun part of that process for your most enjoyable part? And what is the more challenging part of your process? Yeah, I guess the most, in, the enjoyable parts I would say is like the, creative flow of designing things and then the end result of like seeing a finished product like just being proud of that like really holding it in, in your hands um so both sides of that and then probably my least favorite part i mean it depends what mood i'm in but like kind of doing the production uh part can be kind of a hassle it's like actually like um when you really have to do something for a couple hours it's like i really don't feel like doing this i just want to like the binding, I want to just do it for 20 minutes and then take a break. And like, I just don't feel like doing it for an extended period of time. Um, but if, if it's, uh, if I, I can also get kind of get in the flow of that too, it's not too bad, but I guess, like I was saying earlier, I kind of don't like with doing graphic design and stuff like that. That's been kind of like a weak spot of, um, like once something is on my, schedule of a thing that I need to do. It kind of feels like a, an obligation and it's like, uh, kind of creates a dynamic where it makes me almost want to procrastinate and do stuff that I really like to do. So it kind of highlights maybe the, the things that I most like to do, like where I want to just make art or something. Um, but yeah, being kind of beholden to a customer and then having to, um, create it, it's like not as bad as it should be, but it's one of those things that once when it's something on your to-do list, sometimes you just want to do anything but do that thing, even if it's not that hard. Right. It's like, ah, I got to do this. I'm just going to get to the next thing. I want to be able to watch a bunch of stand-up comedy. That's just me. That's just me. Um, so this, this is the, the last real question, but it's two bullet points with it. So um, reading over your background, you know, read that you also taught screen printing, design, book binding in places like BMI, Baltimore Museum of Industry, and Towson University. Um, and you were a part of the, or are a part of the Made in Baltimore program. I've interviewed mm -hmm. those folks and a lot of great makers. Um, tell us about the experience of like teaching your, your craft and being in part of that sort of creative community. Um, yeah, I, I do like, um, being able to teach in the opportunities that I've had. 
I kind of like um, just being able to show, like expose somebody to something and show them that it's possible. Like with screen printing, it's like a pretty, pretty straightforward process, but it, it is like kind of involved. Um, it's one of those things that if you can get somebody to go through it all the way, then they, they get something that's really like fulfilling that they can take away from it. Um, but I guess I did, I liked getting to this level where I was say teaching a, a screen printing kind of design, um, class. Like I like just like all these little tips that I've figured out on my own or like ways of thinking about things. I liked bringing that stuff and being able to maybe inspire somebody and in, like in, in different ways to, to do things differently or, or maybe realize that they can do something that they didn't know they could do. That's great. And definitely, uh, BMI are friends. Uh, so that's, that's great to hear. Um, and, and, and how is it being part of the um, creative community here? We have like a lot of makers um, here in Baltimore. Made in Baltimore program is really, really cool. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it has been cool. Like being, being a maker, I think I was around kind of the f- first or second year that they started a few years ago. Um, and I took part in their pop-up store the first time, like in, um, when it was in, in that spot on North Avenue. Um and, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. I, I feel like they were doing cool stuff. They did the, um, catalog for a few years now. So that highlights your stuff. I, I feel like, um, they do kind of, uh, it seems like they get some good exposure, like with that catalog, I know they were saying that it would be distributed to different, um, like say different talent buyers or like people who purchase things for chains and stuff like that. I, I know they, they at least had like a, some events where they had vendors at, at, at an event like that, um, where those people would be visiting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like, I like, uh, the different creative stuff going on. I would like to, um, kind of mix it up with people who do different things. Um, and, uh, yeah, like the made in Baltimore, they had, a, they have a, their new pop-up. It's kind of like, um, the, uh, the hex superette that they were, sharing space with it's cool to see them kind of evolve and i feel like that was a, a good space it's, and um they're pretty good at doing social media and stuff if you if, you, if you're a business who has something to promote you can just submit it to them they'll share it um and uh yeah do kind of like events and pop-ups and all that kind of stuff yeah. Got some cool cool pop-up events here and there yeah you know i kind of did a little bit of the internet stalking i may have seen a few pictures here and there yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I went over there to the new location. It's actually a block away from my mom's house. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go visit mom. Oh, that made in Baltimore is over here. Isn't that something? Um, and here, so here's the last real question I have for you. Um, and this is kind of like sort of like buttoning up everything and taking into account, like, you know, having this this skill set and really kind of building out. And, you know, and so what would be that one piece of advice for someone who wants to, going to you know they, they have an idea they want to do their version of wonder books like you you're 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 coming with the field notes sort of like as an influence early on they're looking at you as an influence what would be that piece of advice you'd share with someone who wants to do their version of this well i think uh, like going with that line of thinking probably just do like like just be open and see what you're interested in because i guess i guess i i, I kind of come at this um not so much as like seeing somebody do like I, I did 
see what somebody was doing and say like, I, I want to have that, which is being successful of at doing something that you really like to do. That's just like, you're an artist. I, I always like kind of looked up to people who were sort of, um, like a black sheep or like, just like they, they did things their own way, like Prince or somebody like that. Just somebody who really has a personality and just everything they do is just what they want to do. And the world does kind of like reward you for that in some instances, because I don't know, I guess, I guess the people like uh, novelty and like just somebody being themselves. So I would say like, probably just starting out just to see what you are interested in. And then you can see if you want to do the exact thing that you see somebody doing. And you're like, I really want to do that. And then maybe you you figure out that you don't want to do exactly that thing that they do, but it'll, it's some amalgamation of the things that you're interested in. And then just follow that. I would say just probably follow your interest and excitement. Thank you. That's, that's great. It's a great piece of advice. Um, so I got three rapid fire questions for you. Now, right. like I said, I've been internet stalking. So, you know, I, okay, here's the first one. This is a softball. What are your favorite colors? Cause I feel like people have more than one. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think like, and it's probably changed. There's probably like colors I'm more feeling at certain times. Yeah. When I was younger, I liked purple. Like that was my favorite color. Um, I remember. And then, so looking at it now, I could see like prints and like I was waiting people for you to make talk, that connection. <laughs> yeah, people people talk about that being like this really like royal color from back in the day, and just like having all kinds of power. It being like the most powerful color or something like that, um, ultraviolet or what have you. Um, but uh, but now it's in the past few years, maybe it's been more like a teal. I really like a uh, seafoam green kind of thing. Um, so that's probably like more so my favorite color now. And and also um, purple is um, the color of scissorp, as I've learned. <laughs> nice. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like I like teal as well. I used to be a dude that you, you catch me down south. Like I haven't I've barely been in Florida. Right. But if I ever go to Florida for an extended period of time, there's going to be so many loud Kubavar like teal shirts that I'm wearing in linen pants. It's going to be a show. Yeah, nice. Uh, I read that you're also a comedian. You touched on it earlier, stand-up. Um, what is something that, without fail, makes you laugh? Um, hmm. I think, like, just somebody being in the moment. Just I don't know. Sometimes it's, like, just in conversation. But I like, like when you work with people that do like to joke around. And it's, like, they don't... Like some people maybe take it too far and like you think, oh, they're looking for attention. But some when it's really just a really genuine environment, people are just like making genuine little jokes and they're not comedians or anything, but they're trying to be funny and make you laugh. I I, I kinda like personally I like more dry stuff. So I always find myself like just really un underselling something, but so that it kinda like it just hits you like when you're realize it it's like I, I you usually see when somebody's telling you a joke because the, their face will change oh, yeah. so that d does give it away but i tend to like something that's really clever and like not too like overt it's just like you got to think about it for a second and then it hits you and you're just done yeah same I, I used to be described as having a very dry sense of humor and it, it, I, I think because um you know some i'm around some people if you have like 
a conversation outside of it. Like there was this running bit where if you get a Rob Lee with Rob Lee, because I have that drink that's out, right? That's actually where you'll have a real conversation with me. Like the podcast is real, but also it's contrived to a degree as parameters. And it's so many goofy things that are said. And I say most of them with a straight face that people can't tell if it's like, oh, this is, are you, are you serious about this? What are you on? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I kind of run into trouble. I feel like when people can't tell that I'm joking on the line. Mm-hmm. I, I like to troll as well. I mean, there mm-hmm. are so many things that I find when I'm looking at people's stuff. And I'm like, yeah. So, you know, back in 1981, it's like, yo, how'd you find this out? I was like, <laughs> I'll be digging. <laughs> so this, this is the last, last one I got for you. Um, so I also read, you know, musical background as well. Um, what what are you what are you currently listening to? Like what's been on repeat for you like recently? Just kind of uh, different stuff. I, I was listening to some Gary Newman. Um, just <laughs> yeah, like you, you know, are you familiar? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, very synthy. Um, but yeah, I like uh, also like um, just for some reason like kind of upbeat, sort of fusiony stuff that's that's what i kind of go to for like good time in the car um but i I like listening to stuff like that like maybe uh, like funky and i never like i was thinking this is kind of funny i never would have thought that i would be like somebody who listens to fusion like fusion jazz or whatever it is but the stuff I, i like that stuff that's like good bass and kind of virtuoso kind of instruments really jam in just yeah just good time like maybe some brazilian or like jazz uh rock funk maybe yeah that kind of thing i dig it i dig it that's that's great um i've been on this is gonna sound so ridiculous i've uh been on this neoclassical like heavy guitar shred metal recently nice been very over the top and i'm like and most of it obviously is from the 80s and there's some sort of retrospectives that are happening now and i was like yo this i am not welcome in this environment but i'm gonna keep listening this is great <laughs> so um with that uh that's pretty much all i have for, for um for this this conversation this interview um and um i want to thank you for coming on and, and spending some time with me and I want to invite you to um, share with the listeners where they can check you out, all things Wonder Books, all of that good stuff, social media, website, all that great stuff. The floor is yours. Yep. Um, the Wonder Book stuff is at wonderbooksbrand.com and on Instagram, wonderbooksbrand. And my, my own stuff for my art is Jordan Levine Design on Instagram. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Jordan Levine for coming onto the podcast and spending some time with me. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, makers in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for them.